Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now in this show today, we're going to be taking on one of the big topics in the spiritual realm, which is the topic of awakening. And the topic of today's show, the title is, What is Awakening? And we could approach this question in a number of ways. First of all, what does it mean? What does awakening mean? What is doing the awakening? And what are we awakening to? Every time I think of this concept, I go back to the Buddha. And as we may know, Buddha itself means the awakened one. And perhaps ever since the time of Buddha, people have been trying to understand what this means, what transformation he actually went through. Now today I'm lucky to have a perfect guest to discuss this topic. Peter Tong has gone through his own process of awakening from chemistry professor, international rugby player, to high school principal, to being today a leading spiritual counselor, as well as the host of one of the most popular new consciousness radio shows entitled Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation on the Seventh Wave Network of Voice America. I was lucky to be his guest a number of weeks ago, and so now we are reversing roles, and this should be fun. Uh, Peter, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Philip, and thanks for that great introduction. Well, as I, as I said in the beginning, the concept of awakening is such a powerful, rich topic because it, it conjures up so many images and so many visions of something better, of us awakening to a better world, a better state of being. And so this is a topic that I thought we should probe because, you know, we're going to get to... Uh, how you entitled your own radio show, uh, Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation, which says a lot in a, in a title. But let's just start things off for a second here, because a lot of people are probably wondering uh, the big question, which is, how does a chemistry professor, <laughs> rugby player, and high school principal get into being a leading spiritual counselor radio talk show host? So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about how you went from the academic world to what you're doing now. That's a great uh, opening question, Philip. And it really began, look, looking back on it uh, in my teenage years, where basically uh, the whole male energy of the, of the chemistry, the an, an analytical approach to life, playing sport, drinking beer, all that was 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 very much the masculine energy, and 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 I was in fierce argument and debate with my mother, who uh, was an astrologer, um, about this weird stuff that she was involved in that I had no belief in whatsoever. And what I now know is that she held this light uh, for me 
in the hope that I would eventually <laughs> get it. Uh, to be fair to me, she played her trump card, and and what that was was she said, uh, if you think this is all uh, woo-woo, boo-woo stuff, why don't you actually consider yourself a scientist and study it? Yep. So, so I did. And uh, in studying it, I, I learned over a, a, a period of time that there was actually something in it. So I, I began this journey in my early 20s. Uh, but because I had the analytical approach of a scientist, I went through a whole uh, process of very gradual unfolding. As I was beginning my teaching career of, of, of understanding spirit, and I went through understanding astrology, then I moved into mediumship and what that was and how that worked and, and just continued. But the real, the real shift that took place was actually as a result of the children. And what happened was, as the school principal um, in a boarding school, a university prep school, a boarding school where we had st students from about 20 different countries around the world, 200 bo students boarding, and I lived on campus, so the kids knew me at a personal level as well as the, the level of a, a principal. And, and what happened was, I, I uh, spoke in chapel one day about the indigo children, uh, which was a topic that I was really interested in, and I'd already identified within the school a number of children uh, who would have been labelled indigo. And I didn't know this, but apparently that day after that chapel service, the whole uh, of the computer system in the library was full of kids researching indigo sites mm -hmm. because they recognised themselves in what I had to say. And what that led to was these children literally coming into my office, sometimes because they were in trouble, and sometimes they just knocked on the door and said, "Sir, can I have a word?" And I'd say, "Yeah, come on in. What, what you know? What's it about?" And they said, "Well, weird things happened to me." It was a, it was a fairly typical opening line. <laughs> and then I and then I learned uh, to listen and listen deeply to the awarenesses that these children had, and that was what led me to understand and realise that our current school system just doesn't work for these children because they don't learn in the traditional way. So a, a lot of my real deep awakening was as a result of listening to these children and the awarenesses that they had beyond the, the normal realm or reality we, we would expect. Well, that's, that's an interesting connection there because, first of all, I, I, think it's, I think it's interesting that you, in the beginning, you approached your mother's interest in astrology from a scientific bent. Now, now, what do you mean by that? I mean, to what, what kind of authorities or books or research did you do to that to sort of authenticate it to yourself? Well, the analytical part was was in those days uh, to create a, a, a birth chart for someone. You had to go into the ephemerises and you had to work out where the planets were there was no computer programming this was this was a long time ago right, right. this was in the early years uh, early uh well mid 70s i suppose yeah. uh, uh, early 80s that around there yeah. so you had to do a fair amount of research to actually create the chart in the first place and then using different astrological uh, texts uh looking at the the placement of the planets in someone's chart looking at the aspects the angles created between them and, um, and and putting it all together now one of the gifts that I have developed over over the years is is because being a school principal in some ways helped a great deal was to be able to synthesize uh, what appears to be disparate information and, 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 and make it make sense so when I saw a, someone's astrological chart not only could I 
know, look at the actual elements of it. Um, but I was actually able to piece it together into some uh, sense that made sense to them and helped them understand what was going on in their life. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the books I'm reading right now, it's an audio book. is uh, It's called Nonsense on Stilts, and it's one of those books by a mainstream scientist attacking all things that are not scientific. And one of those areas that is attacked is astrology. Ah. But but it's it's really it, I think astrology is one of those concepts that we all sort of think has some truth to it. And I I don't think I mean I'm I'm the kind of person who who believes that certain things like astrology, life after death, paranormal events that one of the appeals they have to people is that they resonate with us. And there's some kind of connection to our inner being as opposed to just some kind of flight of fancy. And and so so I, I do think that, you know, astrology in, in a new age, Peter, will be a richer topic of investigation. I mean I, I think it's I think it'd be great. I think it'd be great to to have uh, more people, i.e. in the mainstream really give it a little bit more credibility because it, it has a has an enchanting an enchantment to it and so 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 over the years what what have you what have you know and i want to go back to the indigo children for a second here in a minute but but on the concept of astrology what what has it taught you well it's really interesting philip because i i basically put it put it aside because uh, obviously i was very busy living my my life and all the sports and the school and, and and teaching and then becoming the principal so I moved on from astrology to other aspects of spirituality right. but I've come back to it full circle and the way that I've come back to it I should just explain um, is through what's called landscape zodiacs and this is a, a concept that goes actually back to uh, the theosophical movements of Ad uh, Madame Blavatsky back in the late 1800s yeah. where she talks about these landscape zodiacs and what they are essentially is that uh, carved in the landscape naturally, and no one knows how it, it happened in the first place, but carved in the landscape uh, in a sort of a form of a disc, which varies in size, are uh, 12 effigies um, in the land uh, through rivers and uh, contours and hills and brooks and all sorts of natural landscape phenomena, which are representations of the 12 sun signs of the zodiac and not only that but how you can work with this structure to go on your own grail quest essentially through the 12 sun signs and in modern times a woman called Catherine Maltwood was the first person to sort of rediscover these structures in uh, the southwest of England in, in Glastonbury uh, and uh, Glastonbury Tor is actually in Aquarius it's the Phoenix rising in the northern uh, section of this disc and so what you do is you go on a journey every month of the year and you go into the landscape of that particular sign and what you're doing is you are as a human being consciously connecting the constellation of that sun sign in the night sky with mother earth below your feet mm. and so you're creating this connection deliberately and intentionally between the heavens and the earth and the ultimate aspect of that is to bring heaven to earth in a conscious way. And so part of my awakening in the last three years has been working with this landscape zodiac because this Catherine Maltwood uh, moved from 
England to where I live in Victoria, British Columbia, just before the Second World War in 1938. And we discovered just almost three and a half years ago now, there's a landscape zodiac here. And I just want to continue the story, Philip, for a little bit to help sure. to help understand the significance of this connection, because as a result of this work, we realized and found there were many landscape zodiacs on the planet, one of which is in Renle Chateau, and all that mystery around uh, the Tour de Magdala um, there, and there's a landscape zodiac there, and there's a very significant landscape zodiac in New Mexico. And I just want to just, just give this visual image for the listeners because this will help them understand, I think, a little bit about um, how astrology can really help us in the future because you're absolutely right. It is going to take a bigger, a bigger part in our future unfolding. And so in New Mexico, there's this massive supervolcano that when it was complete, it's hard, hard to imagine this, but when it was complete, it was three times higher than Mount Everest, hmm. 90,000 feet. And it's blue a million years ago and obviously caused a lot of devastation in that area. But now it's a massive uh, caldera. It's like a huge cauldron. And it's got obviously this rim of this crater. And the, uh, some of the work of a wonderful mystic called Peter Dawkins from England talks about the shift in energy from Europe, that U Europe is actually Europa the bull, Taurus the bull which was uh, laying the foundation back in the Renaissance in the 1600s for this period now in the 2000s. And the shift of energy from Europe to North America, which actually is, the, is Aries, the ram, it's the golden ram's head, which is to do with the, the crown chakra and the brow chakra opening up. And it opens up when it's connected through the heart. So you're thinking through your heart. And this process is what is taking place right now. So uh, in late April, there was this alignment, which was called the Grand Cross. And it involved four planets sitting at exact 13 degree uh, of, of the cardinal sign. So that they were exactly 90 degrees to each other. So if you can imagine a cross absolutely precisely aligned, these four planets were in these in these four cardinal signs, which means shifting into a new way, a new a new age, a new level of awareness. And I just got this image uh, of seeing these four planets in this grand cross sitting on the rim of this massive caldera, which is at the heart of the whole landscape of North America. And these four planets in these four positions on the rim. And for, for us to go to the center of this caldera, because the four planets were creating a great deal of chaos for people, because what they were doing was resonating with us to get us to awaken, to get us to shift. And each planet had a particular role. One was to do with our own personal freedom, which was Uranus in Aries. One was to do with our one-on-one -on -one relationships, to do with Mars in Libra. Uh, another one was Jupiter in Cancer, which is all about our family, our tribe. And the fourth one was about Pluto in Capricorn, which is about our work, our career, our ambitions. So if you think about those four aspects of life, they cover everything, our personal freedom, our one-on-one -on -one relationships, our family ties, and our work. And they were pulling, literally pulling us apart in these four directions to get us to really, really, really understand why we're here and what we're here to do, what our real purpose is. 
And if you're not following your real purpose, then it's going to shake, rattle, and roll you until you do. And that's what awakening actually actually is. Well, that, well that, yeah, we covered that. That was uh, that. That was a lot of ground we just covered there. This is Philip Camella. <laughs> this is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm happy to be talking to Peter Tong, the host of the extremely popular radio show entitled Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation, which is on the Seventh Wave Network of Voice America. And we are probing this concept of awakening. And right now we are on this concept of astrology now let me just give you a perspective on this from where I come from just to sort of balance this off and that is if part of awakening is realizing that we are part of the universe part of one thing and therefore we are ingrained in it then it would make sense if there was some kind of coordination between the stars and ourselves and that's that's the sort of the underlying way I I look at astrology, and it's it I I don't really know the cause and effect part of this because because sometimes maybe it's moving in unison or maybe the stars are telling us what to do. I love the image though of this cross uh, sort of uh, personifying a new age because. Because I can't help but think, and it maybe it's more hope than thinking, Peter, but I can't hope that I, I cannot help but hope that we are on the day on the dawn of a new age. And so let's let's talk about that a little bit. Um, and and you know, you already alluded to the indigo children as being one of your um, sort of inspirations. For those who don't know what indigo children are first, what are they? Okay. So uh, I just uh, one comment before I do that, and that is this mass awakening you mentioned uh, just now. Through, through my interviewing other uh, radio hosts and interviewing people who are spiritual, uh, I would consider experts in the world who lead workshops, what I've discovered through those people is traveling around the world, literally doing their workshops all over the world, this awakening is absolutely definitely happening everywhere so people are beginning to look more deeply at their lives and and considering what their real purpose is so it is it is happening there's no there's no doubt about that so the indigo children um are children that started coming in um prop some of them are, are now in their sort of 30s and 40s so started coming in uh after harmonic convergence which was another one of those catapulting moments a, a, a six-pointed st david star in the night sky uh in, in back in 1987 and since then there was like an impulse of energy that's that's come in and so these children started coming in um around that time and they've come in uh with a very definite purpose which is to help and uh, help us to awaken and these children came in expecting this transformation uh, to have already started and it, it's caused a great deal of upheaval and, and havoc in their lives and in the lives of the people around them because 
things weren't quite what they were expecting them to be when we were still stuck in the old paradigm, the old way, particularly in the educational system. And these children cannot stand anything that's out of integrity and they will react with anything that is out of integrity, including their teachers. So it, it, it was a, quite a tumultuous experience for many of these children to come into form and, and to be here uh, in this life. And, and, and they um, reflect back to us the state that we are in uh, when they when they come to us. And, and so, uh, as you can imagine, some of those kids ended up in my office as a result of uh, sometimes being disrespectful to teachers and so on. But as I as I got to know more of these children and got to, to understand them, uh, they've come into this this life with one goal only, and that is to help us awaken. And so they have these abilities, these awarenesses beyond what we would normally consider normal. And, uh, and I'll give you some uh, examples, and some of them are fairly uh, remarkable, but, but they're real, and so I, I need to be honest and truthful about that. So one of the very common aspects of these children is uh, precognitive dreams, so that they will have a, an absolute crystal clear lucid dream and then at some time in the future, it will actually happen. And sometimes it will be something really simple uh, in, in, in their own lives. And sometimes it will be something that's happened, usually some form of tragedy on a world global scale. And I remember one of them, there was, a, there was an airplane that, uh, that ran off a runway in Toronto. It was a very stormy night and the plane landed and skidded and, and crashed. And there was this image that was shown on the uh, on the news of all these people running away. They went down the chutes off the plane, running away from the plane, and obviously in case of an explosion happening. And this child had seen this absolute scene in her dream. And so uh, what do you do with that when you have that experience? First of all, at one level, it's awesome and it's it's magical and it's wonderful. And at another level, it's what what was I supposed to do? Because there's no date, there's no street sign telling you where it's going to happen or what it's going to happen. So you can't warn people. So it also creates this sense of um, helplessness and hopelessness, although I know something really significant. So it creates this uh, very confusing state within. Uh, they were very, very aware of people's emotions, particularly their closest friends and their teachers because they're sitting there and watching their teachers, obviously, uh, in, in class. And, and one of the problems is if, if, if the, the subject that they're doing, which they have to do, our school system demands that they get these certain classes uh, under, under their belt uh, and they're totally bored out of their skull, then they just travel and they go off, you know. And I had this one uh, very, very gifted young lady who was in grade 11 and she was in trouble with her math teacher because she intuitively knew the answers to questions. And so the teacher would say, you know, you haven't shown you're working. She said, well, there isn't any working, but this is the answer, isn't it? And it's, yes, it is, but you, you've got to show how you got there. Well, I got there because I know it's the answer. I didn't need to do any calculations. And so she got really annoyed, and so she just drifted off. And so, of course, then these kids get diagnosed as ADD and ADHD and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's and uh, she came to me and, and said, sir, you know, she was very, very upset because she was an indigo. She was brash. She was out there. She said, sir, where, where would you rather be, in math class or on the Great Wall of China? <laughs> and this girl had this very clear ability to travel uh, 
consciously out of her body and go to other places. And so when you start looking at the reality of these children's awareness and their lives, um, it, it's quite different from our normal experience. Are these just uh, normal kids? I mean, are these just normal kids that you discovered had these? Had these absolutely. Kids? Oh, yeah. yeah Walking that, around the school, you wouldn't know anything anything was different about them at yeah, all. Yeah. The, the, the main point would be that they, they had absolutely zero interest in the typical adolescent daily discussions about boys and girls and sports and they had no interest in that. Their only interest was in was in discovering the truth and reality and what this was really all about. And they would see uh, one of the things that started happening in recent years since uh, digital photography came out was uh, these light orbs that show up on photographs. Well, these kids would have the frequency of vibration to be able to see these orbs flying around the room. And so, again, they would appear to be distracted, but actually they weren't. They were, they were watching uh, beings of light flying around the room. Yeah, you know, and, that, and, and you allude to it, uh, you just alluded to it now in, in one of the articles you've written about how in the modern uh, world, in, in the Western scientific paradigm, many of these kids are diagnosed with some kind of illness or disease or something. It's, it's considered to be some kind of psychological imbalance. That's right. Which just goes well, to I, show you how how off how, how off the rails we sometimes get in broadening let, our perspective. Let me give you a really good example of that, Philip. So there's a there's a disease <laughs> called synesthesia, and in synesthesia, uh, it means that some something's happened in the brain, such that we get our senses mixed up. And one of these children was, was, was uh, this girl who had this synesthesia. And one morning, and I knew her quite well, and I knew that she was very aware, she came to me one morning in my office, absolutely happy, uh, smiling, and that when she said, she comes into my office and she says, Sir, this morning I heard the flowers open. Hmm. Wow. Now, you can either say, okay, let's go down to the mental institute, (laughs) or you can go, wow, that's amazing. So this same girl ended up uh, in an art uh, class in Florence in Italy, and she was doing a painting uh, in a class with other students. She was in her mid-20s by now. She graduated from her university degree, and she was doing this advanced course in art, and she was doing this painting, and she was getting very frustrated, and she suddenly shouted out, Geez, this green just doesn't taste right. (laughs) And all the other students looked at her like she was crazy. And the professor knew and he took her into his office and he said, let's talk about this uh, green taste. And so she explained, you know, a few things. He asked her a few questions and he said, you have synesthesia. And he said, some of the great painters of the Renaissance had it. And what this did was it opened up an absolute truth for her because she'd been sitting in these lectures, listening to these professors going on about these paintings. And she's going, that's not it. Because she could hear the symphony of the painting in her head. And so suddenly it all made sense to her because she had the same condition that these master painters had the ability to put onto canvas this much bigger, richer story. Yeah, you know, it, it almost reminds me of, uh, you know, certain things from history, like like burning burning of the witches or or uh, various reactions against people with extra uh, sensory abilities, and it it's almost. I mean, I also to be radical here for a second. I mean, I I think that, uh, and this is a radical statement. 
I think that some of the cultural reaction against drugs, against hallucinogenic drugs, is very is similar to this because because many of these drugs, which are naturally occurring, cause your consciousness to raise. It causes it causes you to go to a place where some people aren't ready to go, and there is there is a reaction against it to rule it out or to or to criminalize it or to call it something evil and and I think that um, what what this shows and I hope that you're right and I think that you're right in terms of this this gradual grassroots rising of consciousness that that as our full potential as human beings starts to develop starts to transform will start having richer lives and stop marginalizing, stop categorizing these skills and start realizing that these extrasensory skills such as precognitive dreams, telepathy, clairvoyance, etc., are are features of a of a spiritual place. That that, that it's not that it's not some kind of strange outlier or, or disease. And I hope that I I hope that's where you're going. I mean, I hope that that's that's your vision as well, Peter. Because 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 I don't I don't know if we'll ever if if we'll ever do that today. But I I think that eventually that's where things are going, where we realize that where there's more dimensions to what we are as people. So absolutely. So so let me just uh, the, the hallucinogenic drug and and the and the, uh, the, the that area is a really interesting one to bring into play actually because what it does it brings in the other side of awakening which people may not actually piece together is part of the awakening process and that is that those uh, substances if you want to call them that those those uh, natural substances which cre- which open this door they they somehow. Uh, drop the veil that that normally keeps us uh, protected from yeah. these other experiences, but there's a whole consciousness around that plant's kingdom, uh, also. And and what it does though, is it also not only uh, offers the opportunity for these uh, greater awarenesses to 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 become aware of them, but it also brings up the emotional deeper unconscious wounds that we are not aware of that are running that are running the programs inside of us and so the second aspect to awakening is on top of the greater expanded awareness and the intuitive nature of ourselves is to heal these deeper wounds that we carry the conditioning and programming that was inculcated into us as children by our parents, by the school, by religion, by whatever adult authority was over us, um, imparted into us other people's belief systems rather than our own. And part of this awakening journey is to come to terms with the fact that what we believe to be true actually isn't true and isn't our belief anyway, it's someone else's. So a big piece of this awakening journey is to go inside and become aware of these aspects of us that are deeply hidden and buried in our unconscious and bringing them out to help us release them and actually step into what what is called our true nature or our higher self. And that connection 
to who we really are and why we are really here. Yeah, uh, that's that's great. Now I want to follow up with this in a second. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Peter Tung, the host of the popular radio show Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation, which is on the Seventh Wave Network of Voice in America. And he's also got all sorts of other things going on, which we'll get to. And I think that this topic of of hallucin of hallucinogenic drugs and awakening uh, and the indigo children, to me, it's teaching me more and more the importance of, of, of a social milieu or a social context that it's not something that can really be done by yourself. You could push, you could push the envelope a little bit yourself, but I really think the power of awakening builds as the critical mass builds. And I, I remember, you know, with, with, the, with the legalization of marijuana in various states, there are more mainstream media folks talking about it. And I just read uh, something in the uh, editorial page, I think it was the, the Chicago Tribune about, I guess, Maureen Dowd uh, took some uh, marijuana brownies and got all paranoid and everything. But the, the point is here is that the... The, the rising of consciousness, for it to work, it really has to be, to me, it has to be a, a unified, a team, a social process. And I think that, Peter, is the real challenge for our time. I mean, Buddha sitting under the tree, he was way ahead of his time, way ahead of his time. And when you look at the centuries that have gone by and the challenges that we have faced and I, I think that today what's encouraging is that people like you and I would try to put myself in that category where, where we're both where we're rational <laughs> but we have this spiritual open-mindedness that that we're we're starting to put the two together and I think that is that is necessary to advance the ball here I mean that that's my own that's my own view of this is that is that we have to be credible and rational because there are too many critics there's too many there's too many questions people have uh, but once you satisfy those then I think we could reach a stage a stage where we understand that this is really a rise of consciousness of awareness so so I, I agree with you absolutely in terms of the rational and, and the and, and the combination of the of the of the accept the acceptance and the open mindedness that we need to have, and actually begin to become aware of of many things that have happened in history that we poured score on and actually scorn on and actually w were really helpful things. Yeah. And so to open our mind up to to that is great. But I also want to to, to make this comment. Because I don't believe it's going to be quite as hard as, as we think it is. And the reason for that is because of this interconnectedness of all of us uh, that you alluded to. One of the things uh, I would love our listeners to really think about and, 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 and connect with is that a lot of what is taking place in this awakening process right now is happening on the energetic level. It's unseen 
but it's where we are all interconnected. And I just want you to have this uh, this image for a moment of these interconnecting, let's, let's just say interconnecting pipes or roots or a, a network of energetic constructions that, that connect us all together. And right now, because of our, uh, uh, our lives so far, they're somewhat blocked and there are interference patterns. It's like having a virus in your computer system, so it doesn't work very effectively. And then a certain number of members of the community come along and they start doing their inner work. They start clearing out these pipes. They start uh, using antivirus software to clear out these interference patterns, these diseases. And en enough members of this community do this. And so what happens is we clean out these pipes and suddenly these pipes become clear because enough people have been doing this inner work to clear them. And so nothing actually appears to be happening in the outside physical world, but it manifests itself through this energetic interconnectedness that we all share. And suddenly people start behaving differently and they start being kinder and gentler and softer and more caring, more understanding. The feminine aspect of all of us begins to emerge and you hit this critical mass and boom, suddenly the world's changed. Yeah, so I, I see it coming from the inside out through this energetic connectivity that we all have. And Philip, one of the beautiful things about doing the radio show is that you and I and many other great hosts are connecting all of these people together through our voices, through our interconnections, through the internet. I and mean, that's why the internet is so powerful because it, it's a reflection of the inner connectedness we all share anyway. Yeah, I think that there's a lot there, Peter, and I, I think that that was really well put. Just to highlight a couple things, as I've said in the past, one of the beauties of shows like this and yours and many others is that people are talking about this. We're not, we're not just thinking about it to ourselves and wondering whether we're crazy or not. We're starting to articulate these concepts of a rise in consciousness, of awakening, of, of coming, of, of transforming ourselves into a higher level of being, and we're realizing that other people think and feel the same. And that, of course, I mean, I think that that, that goes to your point about this being a internal evolution, a, you know, you use the word energetic, and I think that's a perfectly fine fine way to put it where it's sort of I mean the way I look at it it's similar which would be sort of like a tidal wave or a wave that gradually builds up power and this wave is the wave driving driving the transformation driving enlightenment and you can't stop the wave I mean one of the things that Ken Wilber t writes about he's not the only one but Ken Wilber is pretty clear on this and he says, once you, once you reach that higher stage of consciousness, you can't go back. You can't go back. You could only go forward. And that, that is a beautiful way to put it, I think. And that, it, that is what I think is, is happening. Uh, and I'm also encouraged that together with one of my other principles, which is that the truth remains standing. If you are 
moving towards a state of consciousness or a stage of consciousness that is true, that is pure, that is consistent with our actual selves, then that is that is a definitive move. That's a final move. It's not as if uh, I decided to vote Republican this year instead of Democrat. I'm going to change my mind. You can't, there's no changing your mind. You, once you're there, it it comes to fruition. So, so this is this is all great. Now, over so can I just can I just yeah, make sure, one sure. comment because uh, this is again is really important for, for, for the listeners yes. and it continues with your wave uh, notion. Uh, I was down uh, with Steve Brother at the lightworker.com uh, virtual light broadcast a few weeks ago, and Steve did a channel at the end, which he does. He connects to this powerful group of beings. But the point that he was making is really an important one for the listeners to hear, and, and it continues with this wave notion. And that is that when you come in on this surging wave, the wave continues, and it's like being the surfer, and you drop off the wave, and you drop down into the water. And it feels for people... Uh, in their lives as if they've taken a step backwards mm. and what people and what happens in that moment is is self-doubt kicks in self-judgment kicks in worthiness or lack of worthiness kicks in and so we have these these moments and we all have them of you know is this real am i is am i spending my whole life following a journey that i'm not sure is actually true and real because it's a subtle journey for most of us some people have massive awakenings and you mentioned near-death experience earlier, and that's one of them. Uh, but and some people get get terrible illness and disease as an awakening gift. But for the standard person, it's more subtle than that. And so we have these moments of uncertainty. And what Steve said in his channel, which is really important to understand, is when that wave has gone on and you drop off the wave, you're just resting. Yeah. You're just in a place of deep, relaxed resting and waiting for the next wave to come. And as you say, Philip the waves will definitely take you in to nirvana yeah. <laughs> so just wait for the next one <laughs> yeah well i you know i think the self doubt is a really a a big part of this and i think that's where two things come into play for me cuz i've gone through a lot of self doubt myself number 1 it helps to have friends and people who think the same to to realize that you, that you're not going off the deep end and I think I'm past that. But also, it's the deep-rootedness. It, to me, it's it's like 2 plus 2 equals 4. I mean, I feel like uh, one, of, one of the ways to describe um, our current uh, mindset, the, which I would call the materialistic mindset, is, is the escape from the land of 2 plus 2 equals 5. It, it doesn't add up. And, and once, you, once you reach that, once you point yourself towards this world perspective where you realize that we are rising to this consciousness of understanding that we are part of a greater whole, that that is something that cannot be challenged because, because, it's, because it's so true. And, and so that point is that it, that helps overcome self-doubt to me, realizing that it's, that it's true. That, and that that it's got a depth to it, but but it also I think points out the social part of this. I mean, why is it that instead of uh, you, you having a national TV program 
on the science channel or some other channel you know we are we are doing or me we're you know we're doing radio shows is because the current uh mainstream doesn't quite get it and i think it's sort of like we're in a disjointed um stages here and and i'm optimistic that in the next several years or decades whatever we're going to be moving to the mainstream because i think that will be the sign that that we're on to something and that we're and that we that there's more of a global uh awakening so so that that is what gives me a lot of encouragement absolutely i totally agree with that i mean i think that i think that would be great and and you know i have been approached for some tv shows and i am working on one but the question is who's going to have the courage to pull the trigger but it's going to yeah. you know you know, yeah, you know it's it's going to happen now i i want there's a couple things here that are are really important um, that I want to get from you while I have you on the show, and that is, and you've alluded to it a little bit, but but you've had hundreds of people on your on your radio show uh, over the years, and can you? It's and this is completely unfair, but but in terms <laughs> in terms of distilling, I mean, what 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 has this taught you? What have you learned from your guess oh so much so I know, much i know it's an unfair um, question it's hard, it's, so. it's hard to distill that down yeah. into a few lines but I, i'll do my best i think i think uh I, and you'll know this yourself philip what happens is the show itself creates its own consciousness its own vortex of energy and so it pulls into the show the people that that i need to get some information from yeah so not not only do they present their uh, life's work often their their life's passion in a in a one hour show which i'm doing now to a certain degree but but they give the listeners the the broader perspective but they give me a very specific piece for my t- for me to create my own mandela radio show really of of piecing the puzzle together and so little pieces come in. I, I, a very quick example was uh, I interviewed uh, Peter Dawkins from England and Andrew Collins uh, from here, neither of whom knew each other. And they were both in back-to-back weeks. But they were both talking about the significance of Cygnus the Swan constellation, one from the perspective of the ground looking up. And that was at Gebekli Tepe, which is the oldest known civilization on the planet. Their standing stone circles and temples are all aligned to Cygnus the Swan. And Peter Dawkins talking about Cygnus the Swan from the perspective of it impressing on the landscape. So from the other point of view, and he basically said, he's an expert on what he would call the Shakespeare Mystery School, that the whole reason for um, the Shakespeare plays happening in Stratford-upon-Avon in England was because that's where Cygnus the Swan is imprinted on the landscape in England. And Shakespeare w- was known as the Swan of Avon uh, because the River Avon runs right through the centre of, of Stratford. So in those two shows, I'm, I'm suddenly being given by these two experts from two totally different perspectives a piece of the puzzle, which is I need to pay attention to where Cygnus the Swan fits into this in the landscape and its role and its role many indigenous cultures believe is Cygnus the Swan leads us on the journey of consciousness beyond death and takes us back to from where we came in the first place back to our own star system whatever that is and wherever that is so to know 
your connection to Cygnus the Swan. It's like it's like um, the, the stork bringing the baby. It's the same concept, really, of 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 that connection to heaven and earth between death and birth. Yeah. And so, just that's that's just a simple example. Well, that's, um, that's a good example. But but I would say. Um, it also evolves to a higher consciousness. And so I would say uh, my guest of just a few weeks ago, uh, Richard Rudd, and, and an, an extraordinary series of events led – he lives, in again, in the southwest of England, in Totnes in Devon. And he was on the radio show on April the 30th, uh, and within 10 days he was standing in my living room, which <laughs> yeah. was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, that is something else. This, this is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with noted spiritual counselor and radio show host Peter Tung about the concept of awakening. You know, I had a similar thing with Amika Swami. Where, oh, yeah, right. I've interviewed was, him as well, yeah. He was one of my... Um, you know, targets when I first started the radio show, and I had him on, then I had him on the next week, and then all of a sudden, he was sitting in my office, oh, like about, isn't six, that weird? About, about six months later, because cause, uh, he was speaking at the Theosophical Society, which is down the street from where I live, and uh, I went there, and I, I interviewed him in person, it's just, it's just, a, it's a strange, it's a strange thing, and, you know, I, I completely agree with you. It's sort of like a forum to, to learn, to network, and to understand that, that in our diverse, complex world, uh, sort of with the Internet being the metaphor for this interconnectedness, that we have all sorts of different perspectives on the magic of life and understanding that so many different people are approaching it from different directions but sort of coming to the same conclusion I think is is very very encouraging and it's something that you know gives me more and more confidence that this is that this is the right uh, way to go the the in the last sort of point I would put on that is that one of my things is that science continues in the spiritual world. It's not as if science ends, but now we investigate things like um, the landscape zodiac. We investigate things like indigo children, where, where we, and we start opening up the avenues of exploration rather than to dismiss this phenomena such as astrology as well, out of hand because it doesn't fit the model. And this is my thing. This is where I think we are selling ourselves short in our current scientific paradigm because, because these things don't fit, even though we know that there's truth in them. So, so that to me is, 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 where that's, is where that is heading. Now, So, so just before you sure, move on, a couple of things. Amit Goswami is a great example because many people who uh, don't believe in this awakening conscious world often quote science as the reason why it's not true. And of course, they're, they're quoting outdated science. And so as Amit Goswami is a wonderful guy to talk about because he is working with 
science, quantum physics specifically, right. uh, to explain this awakening that's taking place, and also how to manifest using science yeah. in 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 this conscious world. So that's that's a wonderful example. Uh, and the the other aspect of this is the Russians are extremely advanced in the measuring of consciousness, and they have developed instruments that will uh, uh, way beyond Curlian photography, for example, where you can actually use these instruments as part of the National Health Service in Russia because the, the readouts give you an auric reading of you and what uh, medical issues you have. And, and, it, and it's an allowed uh, diagnostic tool within their medical system to give you treatment. Uh, and they also have developed instruments that actually will measure uh, energetic fields of consciousness at different sites in the landscape and how they shift when we go into ceremony and, and taking them, for example, into the pyramids and seeing how uh, the instrumentation works. So, Philip, from what you've just said, you know, this this is happening in cutting-edge science where where consciousness is now becoming measur measurable uh, by these scientific devices. Yeah, and it doesn't matter... Um how one approaches it, you can't ignore consciousness. I mean, one of, one of my favorite quotes from The Quantum Enigma, the book written by um, Bruce Rosenblum and Fred Kuntner, I had Bruce on God, a number of years ago, is something like, uh, one cannot discuss quantum theory without encountering consciousness. And that means that, framed differently, one cannot discuss the world without encountering consciousness, which is where things are going. And it also leads me to segue into a question I do not want to forget to ask you, which is awakening to conscious co-creation. How did you come up with that title and, and what does it mean to you? What, what does conscious co-creation mean to you? Philip, honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds I, good. Actually, I, I've been doing the radio show for five years on July the 8th, yeah. and I've done over 250 shows, and I actually cannot remember why it was called Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Oh, wow. So I have to assume it was given to me from somewhere else yeah. as a an inspired uh, not only a title, but a vibrational frequency yeah. to attract in the right people to help me uh, on this journey. Yeah. But what it means in terms of the actual today, what it means to me, which it means a lot more now than it did then, awakening to conscious co-creation is the awareness, and, and we've talked about it a great deal during the show today, so it's a nice little opportunity to summarize to a certain degree. Uh, awakening to conscious co-creation means that we develop the awareness that we have the ability when we connect spirit and matter together with intention to co-create together with ourselves as a human race, with spirit, with uh, the heavens, with the celestial realms, with the stars, with Mother Earth herself, that when we come together with absolute integrity of intention and commitment then we can indeed co-create a wonderful future together on the planet yeah. and so to me it's encapsulating all of those pieces through our genuine intention and one of the important things for us to know is we're still learning we're, we're, we're moving into 
a new way of being, a new vibration. And so we still make mistakes. We still get things wrong. But that, that doesn't matter because our intention is full of love and heart and integrity. And that's what matters. And then we go into this beautiful dance uh, with the universe, with Mother Earth herself. And she's going through this transformation. She is a conscious being as well. So as we're going through this shift of awakening, so is she. And so the more we align ourselves with her and go out in nature, I've been watching, for example, where, where I'm placed, which is on a beautiful spot on the, the gorge, which is a, an inlet from the ocean. But I've seen during the show, the swan came gliding by. We were talking about the swan earlier. Uh, the raven just did one of its magical dives uh, down towards the water and then expanded back out, which to me, the raven is magic. Yeah. And so these signs from nature that we are tuned in with her as well is part of the co-creation. Yeah, I, I like the, the term in a number of ways, this co-creation term, because I'm often asked because... I, my own view, which is which is similar to all this, which is that we are living in a dream. That well, you know, the the ans the common uh, question is, well, does that mean we could like dream the world away or wish it away? And no, the answer is it's a co-creation. It's a co-creation. It's a united dream, and therefore we need to cooperate. We need to get along with each other to co-create a better world. So I think the co-creation resonates with me. And it's always nice, Peter, to have a rich title because it gives, it gives uh, you know, it has a lot of meaning to it. Now, and, and a lot to talk about. Now, there is something, to, to connect the last dot here, there is something... Uh, the, the, a term you use, which I which I love, uh, I forgot where I saw that, it but it's it's the term is the golden era of peace, and can you talk about that and how it relates to some of the other things we've touched upon today? Absolutely. Well, my understanding is that that through history there there have been these cycles, these rhythmic cycles moving through the ages where we get to experience this golden era at particular times. And the trigger for this golden era to manifest into form is the return into full balance of the sacred feminine. For the last 5,000 years, there's been this suppression of the feminine energy within our own system, within our own hearts, within our own brain structures, but also in the outer world. And my understanding is that the male or masculine energy became uh, petrified of being consumed by this very powerful sacred feminine energy. It is the unmanifest. It's the, the void. It's the, it's the black hole. It's the untapped divine potential that we can co-create with. Um, but, but it became feared. And so what is happening right now, and I've, again, I've interviewed some women who are absolutely exemplifying this in the world, and that is the return to full power of that sacred feminine energy. And so if you imagine the masculine energy as being a container within which this beautiful, fluid, flowing energy can exist in perfect balance and harmony, then we can co-create together through the male, female, masculine, feminine energies 
this beautiful new world, this beautiful landscape, this Garden of Eden on the planet as we come into this, as you say, cooperative, collaborative, loving, balanced place. And so this uh, old paradigm world in which we've been living, which has had this male-dominated view of life, shifts into this much softer, gentler, more nurturing, slower existence that we can actually really, really appreciate our lives here on the planet. Yeah, I, I am hopeful that, you know, the Buddha had a lot of things that were advanced for his time that we probably don't understand very well. But it's not just, I like to think it's not just some kind of flight of consciousness which which sounds really good. I mean, I think in the in the great in the most down to earth way to put it, I would say it's it's being aware of nature, being aware of the world and the miracle of existence. But it's but with that, I think there is a higher sense of morality. And I in in a you know, you talk about the you know, the chakras and the heart and all that. I mean, we don't have time to get into that, but but I hope and think that along with the rise in consciousness it, it it's understanding that it really is the family of humankind and it's not something it's not a morality that is dictated to you from from a teacher with a ruler it's it's understanding that it is a natural state of being and and that i think is would is where this heaven on earth concept starts gaining some momentum when it when it's when it's appreciated from the inside that that is the better state of of living we've quickly we've quickly come to the end and i want to have you give a couple just a couple uh final remarks peter uh, peter from everything and then of course tell folks uh about your about your radio show and about uh other things you're doing so the floor is yours. Why don't you give your final comments and then talk about, uh, you know, your own show and, and other things you're doing. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, I think we are in unbelievably exciting times, and I think it's remarkable that we, however, however we began, however the first impulse took place, that we've reached the point now in our uh, human uh, evolution and development that we can actually now be considering our. Uh, beginnings and how this all began and how this has all moved forward. So we've reached a level of consciousness of deep uh, soul-searching, deep, deep personal discovery. And what this is leading to is living alive, living excitement, living uh, our day-to-day -day existence with joy in our hearts rather than just existing and, and going through the, the routine. And so beginning to really deeply appreciate our lives and, and, the, and the, the lives of those around us, all of those around us, even those that cause us challenges, because they're all here pointing things out for us to learn. So I'm, I'm really excited about the future. I think we've got a wonderful future ahead of us. And, uh, and I think this transformation is actually going to happen uh, a lot faster than perhaps we might think. Yeah. So, right. so I'm very, very uh, bullish about, yeah. about the future. And then, and then just for, for my work, uh, I do a lot of work helping people right across the spectrum from uh, terminal illness right up to people who are having incredible awakening experiences 
uh, and it's beautiful balance. I work with a, a colleague in the healing work, which is a male-female balance. So if you're interested in making connection with me, you can go to the radio show on Voice America, Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation, my website, www.petertongue.com, and my email, which is descendingdove at gmail.com. Well, Peter, thanks a lot uh, for being with us today, and I hope that we push the envelope here a little bit about what is awakening, and if we're right, then I think all of us are going to have a, an opportunity to awaken, to sort of do the modern version of the Buddha, and make it into something not only transformational, but something real. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We'll see you next week when I interview Mark Balabone about being born philosophers. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com. 